And here we go, everybody. Another edition of Jamal About Sports. Monday night trade deadline, Amagansett edition yet again. Out here in the lovely hamlet, nestled in between East Hampton and Montauk. I, as always, am your host, Jamal Hayden. Big show to get to tonight. Lots of uh, trades to discuss. We'll talk about uh, a little NFL training camp news and another segment of Ad Nauseum. Uh, to wrap up the show. But we start with the Major League Trade deadline having come and went. We'll get into what teams I felt helped themselves, which teams stood pat and, and didn't help themselves. Those are the, of the contending teams. But we start with the Mets, and to, to really, to nobody's surprise, if you're a Mets fan, an absolutely atrocious, horrendous, ridiculous job by Sandy Alderson and the rest of the Mets front office in not maximizing any value out of any of the players that they had that teams would want. Absolutely none. Horrendous. Terrible. Out of Jay Bruce, Curtis Granderson, Ezreal Cabrera, Addison Reed, Lucas Duda, should have been Jerry Blevins as well, although the Mets somehow deem him untouchable because he's under contract next year. Um, which no relievers, unless he's Mariano Rivera, should ever be deemed untouchable for the most part. Since, as we talked about on the show, relievers are so unpredictable from year to year. Um, And who else am I forgetting? Bruce, Granderson, Cabrera. Oh, Neil Walker. Uh, The Mets traded two of them. Duda to the Tampa Bay Rays. uh, And that was a few days ago. um, For... Uh, a reliever who actually not terrible. I mean, I that trade I did not hate, to be fair. Um, of course, I now can't remember the kid's name. <laughs> I'll have to look it up. Uh, but hard-throwing reliever uh, from Tampa Bay. He was originally with the Tigers organization. Um, and, you know, listen, at least there's some uh, reason for optimism there, I think. Um, you know, he sounds like he potentially could be, you know, a back end of the bullpen kind of guy. Uh, you know, I don't know if he's necessarily a closer, um, uh, per se. Um, but, uh, you know, he should, he, he's at AAA. He could, uh, at least be a seventh or an eighth inning guy. Sorry, I'm trying to find who the, this guy, this guy's name is. Um, let's see. Hang tight with me for one second. Um, well, oh, sorry. And the Mets also got AJ Ramos from the, from the Marlins, which we'll talk about too. Um, but, uh, we'll talk about that in a second. My 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 point, my big my big bone of contention here with Sandy Alderson is he loves to use the excuse that oh the, there's no market the market didn't materialize or you know three weeks ago when teams like the Cubs were trading for Jose Quintana he sits there and tells you know the media oh well no well you know no, no, nobody's making trades yet except plenty of trades got made 
The Nationals went out and got Doolittle and Madsen from Oakland two weeks ago. The Cubs got Quintana. Uh, the Yankees uh, made moves. I mean, a, 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 lots of teams were making trades. Just not you, Sandy. Because as my buddy Mike Lantini likes to point out, he's probably sitting there with his brandy snifter and his cognac, uh, too busy in his smoking jacket, in his study watching uh, TMC, or TCM, Turner Classic Movie Reruns. I, I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, I, I envision him, it's like the scene with Wilhelm on, on Seinfeld. You know, oh, you gotta, uh, uh, gotta go, uh, go uh, clip the rose bushes, dear. Oh no, you already did that. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, what what is going on? And don't tell me none of these guys could help teams, or there was no. I mean, they're all free agents. I understand you're not going to get a, a, a king's ransom, okay, for guys that are going to be free agents for rentals for two months. I understand that, but the Cubs just gave away some pretty good prospects to the Tigers for Justin Wilson, left-handed relief pitcher. And most people would consider uh, Addison Reed better than him. And the Mets traded Addison Reed to the Red Sox, this is why I'm so upset, for three seemingly middling relief pitchers. One's a closer at single A with a three ERA. You know, one's a triple A with a four ERA. You know, they're all 22 years old. Listen, I'm not going to pretend I know any of these guys. I don't. All right, I'm reading scouting reports. I'm looking at their statistics. It's not like football where you know I actually know what I'm talking about because I watch a ton of college football. And when the draft comes, I feel like I actually you know know what I'm talking about because I've been watching these guys day in and day out or week to week. And I worked for a big-time college football program in college and was around top-level college football players and have been around pro practices as well. And so I, I, I think I know what a, a, a successful – football player looks like better than I know baseball for sure I'll admit that but my big issue here is not necessarily the fact that these guys aren't you know they're they're considered three of the Red Sox top 30 prospects whatever that means you know all these rating systems I don't put a lot of stock in that anyway and uh the point is is that it's three more relief pitchers so the Mets traded for five relief pitchers when the system is devoid of position player talent. Everybody will tell you that. Everyone, all, everyone pretty much agrees that other than Dom Smith, the first baseman, and Ahmed Rosario, who, hallelujah, the Mets finally are calling up to play tomorrow, the shortstop, the Mets are fairly devoid of position player talent, particularly at the higher levels and certainly throughout their, their minor league system. So why then would you trade for four minor league relief pitchers and one major league reliever? Now, why would you do that? Where? What kind of philosophy is that? Doesn't make any sense. Sandy, do you not know that you have a gaping hole at third base? And don't give me TJ Rivera either, by the way. Okay, I know he's a nice little story, and we always talk about him because he's a good little singles hitter. All right, and he was undrafted, and I, I, I know. But first of all, he's hurt. He's got a, he's got an ulnar nerve issue in his elbow. But second of all, he is not a third baseman. Okay, he's not. He's not a, a, a competent major league third baseman from a fielding standpoint. He's a decent bench player. He's a poor man's Jeff Kepinger, basically. He's probably a DH on a so-so team in the American League because he doesn't hit for a lot of power and he doesn't walk. But yes, he can hit. He's a nice little player. Okay, he's not a starting third baseman. And David Wright's never playing again, guys. Get it through your thick skulls. And even if he is, is he going to be any good? No. 
know, the only other in-house option would be Wilmer Flores, which I wouldn't necessarily hate because he can hit and he gets clutch hits and he has power. I mean, I think if Wilmer Flores got 500 at-bats, he'd hit 25 home runs. I don't think there's any question. But his defense is an issue also, and I think his best position defensively is first base. And I think he's well-suited and has adapted nicely to the role that he's in, which is, you know, guy's kind of a super sub. And he should be cer- certainly should be, you know, Dom Smith's caddy next year at first base to pl- play against tough lefties. And maybe all lefties if you want to platoon Smith this first year. There's no shame in that. That's fine. And then if for some reason Dom Smith, you know, flames out, then maybe Wilmer's your everyday first baseman next year. I live with that too. So the Mets have a glaring hole at third base. Their outfield situation is not great. I mean, Jay Bruce is going to be a free agent at the end of the year. The Mets are going to re-sign him. Curtis Granderson's a free agent at the end of the year. The Mets are not bringing him back, nor should they. Michael Conforto has looked pretty good in center field. Not sure he's really a center fielder, though. The only other guy on the roster is Brandon Nimmo, who, when he's played, has looked good, but he's another one of these guys that can never stay healthy. It's a mysterious lung. His lung collapsed three weeks ago. Nobody knows how it happened. Only the Mets. But getting back to this Addison Reed trade, I mean, look, the Red Sox were in desperation mode, okay? Their bullpen has been lousy. The team themselves have been lousy for three weeks now. They let the Yankees get right back in the mix. Now the Yankees are back in first place. The Red Sox starting pitching has been... Save for the brilliance of Chris Sale, and he's had a tremendous year and right now would win the Cy Young. And Drew Pomerantz has been okay. The rest of their starting rotation has been lousy. Now, Porcello hasn't been necessarily as bad as his 4-14 and record or whatever it is, but he's not been anything approximating the Cy Young winner he was last year. And, you know, other than Kimbrell, uh, you know, they've had issues. They've had guys... You know, the guys they thought were going to be big parts of that bullpen, the Thornburg guy that they traded for Travis Shaw, which right now looks like a terrible trade because Travis Shaw is having a great year for Milwaukee and Thornburg's been hurt for the Red Sox. He hasn't even pitched. So they needed bullpen help in the worst way. The Red Sox are going for it this year. Okay, You don't trade top prospects for Chris Sale and then the year before get that ridiculous contract to David Price Okay, to not be in it to win it. So if you're telling me the best Sandy Alderson could do was three eh, relief pitchers? I mean, and again, not one starter. I mean, Sandy, have you not seen what's happened this year with your, your so-called crown jewel of your organization, your starting pitchers? Everybody hurt all the time, except for Jake DeGrom, who also himself was hurt last year. And again, no position players. None. The A.J. Ramos thing, strange. I mean, listen, I understand for perhaps for next year, he's an okay closer for the Marlins. He was 20 for 22 in saves this year. I don't think he's that good because the Mets never seem to really have a problem with him. The Mets have done damage against him since he's been on the Marlins. And by the way, he's a high wire act too. I mean, he's not one of these guys who gets you clean innings. Even when he gets his saves, it's like at least one or two guys are on base you know, he's a real nail-biter kind of guy. But he's got guts, he's got some moxie, and he has decent stuff. So
So I, I mean, I don't hate the trade, and you would you would think that he would be Addison Reed's replacement next year to be the eighth inning guy, assuming Familia comes back healthy and is you know the same Familia as we've seen over the last two years. And, you know, guys saved ninety games in two years or something like that, ninety plus. So that trade I don't hate, but it, you know, again, you're going to tell me nobody wanted Jay Bruce, really? Nobody wanted as Drupal Cabrera. I mean, the Astros just lost their starting shortstop. He's out for the next eight weeks with a broken finger, and they traded for some scrub Adam Rosales from from the A's. You tell me, as Drupal Cabrera, would it be a better option there? For the Diamondbacks, the team that's in it? Jay Bruce couldn't help a team. The Red Sox, by the way, who desperately need a slugger. It's been their biggest issue this year. They led the world in runs scored this year. They're like middle of the pack this year. Big Poppy's absence is a big deal for them. And some of the other guys they thought were going to sort of take up this, pick up the slack haven't. I mean, Bogarts has been good. He's not been great. Mookie Betts has been good. He's not been great. Keith Moreland's solid, although he's been in a massive slump lately. So, I mean, and listen, I, this, I, I'm not going to say Curtis Granderson, you know, people are probably banging down the Mets doors for Curtis Granderson. And some of these guys, and same with Neil Walker, some of these guys could still get moved because there's a non-waiver trade deadline also that's going to come up. By the way, that's when the Mets got Addison Reed two years ago. To be fair, that was one of the very good moves. That was one, probably one of the better moves Sandy Olsen's made. But you just get the impression that, A, there's zero vision. Here, I mean, Sandy also basically has laid out that he doesn't think defense is important and he wants guys who strike people out and guys who hit home runs and strike out. He doesn't really care about defense, athleticism. None of these things seem to be of any interest to him. And, you know, look, I mean, maybe it's a little unfair, but if you actually peel back the onion on the year the Mets made the World Series, let's be honest, that team was not very good. Okay, it had the good starting pitching, it had terrible hitting. By the way, remember that's Sandy Alderton. His big, his big offseason move that year was John Mayberry Jr. By the way, and then there was that infamous game where against the Dodgers and Clayton Kershaw, the Mets batted Eric Campbell fourth and John Mayberry Jr. fifth. Both guys hitting well under two hundred, because that's what Terry Collins had to work with, courtesy of the sage Sandy Alderson. And the Mets basically got mocked and humiliated into finally doing something. Remember, they were going to trade for Carlos Gomez until his medicals came back. And the Mets, shockingly, the one time the Mets medical people got something right. They passed on him, and then the Mets got Cespedes at the 11th hour. For, by the way, a very good pitcher, and Michael Fulmer, who's been very good for the, the Tigers and is their ace of the future. Now, I'm not saying that I wouldn't have made that trade. You make the trade. Cespedes carried the Mets into the playoffs that year. No question. But, you know, the Mets went on a nice, like, two-and-a-half-month run. And then last year, they stunk for most of the year, too, and then beat up on two terrible teams in the Phillies and the Reds to go squeak into the second wildcard team. My point is, this is not a juggernaut team that he's built here that's just having a down year. No. There's a lot of needs on this team. Now, I understand injuries are part of it. But the defense is lousy. Travis Darno stinks, okay? He flat out stinks. Sandy Olsen's big move, 
was to get Travis. And thankfully, they got Noah Syndergaard in that trade for R.A. Dickey. But Travis Darnot has been a massive disappointment. He's horrendous defensively, and he's not been very good offensively this year. He had a nice year two years ago when he played, you know, 80-something games and had an 850 OPS. He was lousy last year, and he's not been very good this year. Sitting like 230 with nine home runs. Which, by the way, now, in today's baseball, nine home runs is, is, I mean, everybody hits nine home runs. You know, you say, oh, well, he might be, he might hit 15 home runs from a catcher. Yeah, in the old days, that'd be good, but not anymore. And again, his defense is horrendous. Horrendous. Terrible at blocking balls. Lazy. Doesn't get down. Backhands balls when he should be moving his body to get in front of him. Um, so, yeah. By the way, apparently Amagansett has turned into uh, Dean Street now, all of a sudden. A lot of noise all of a sudden out here. Anyway. So, I mean, listen, I'm less than impressed with Sandy Olison's track record here. And this Addison Reed trade just underscores it even more for me. And, you know, we just got, again, they just got a reliever for Lucas Duda. Now you're going to get three more. And then you got A.J. Ramos, too. Ramos from the Marlins. What's the plan? Where is the plan? There doesn't appear to be much of one. You know, I understand the Royals had that little blueprint a couple years ago when they won the World Series with a really deep and talented bullpen. And the Yankees have tried to, you know, and the Yankees have done that to a certain extent. You saw it with Cleveland last year too, Okay. I get it. Bullpens are more are, are increasingly important. I understand that. But these guys that the Mets got from the Red Sox, none of these guys appear to be ready anytime soon. The guy that got, the, the Mets got from Tampa Bay, maybe he can make the team and contribute next year, but he's certainly no lock. So, I, I mean, what are, we, what, are, what are they doing? How are you not getting a third base prospect in one of these two trades? Makes no sense. I mean, don't make a trade for the sake of making a trade. I would have then kept Addison Reed. And by the way, I don't know if it sounds like a broken record. I, I would bring him back next year. If I mean, he's going to probably get a big contract, so the Mets wouldn't do it. But listen, that guy keeps his mouth shut. He doesn't whine about, oh, I don't know my role. I used to be eighth inning and now I'm a closer. And then, but then I'm going to go back. He just shows up for work every day. And when Terry Collins says come in the game, he comes in the game. Eighth inning, seventh inning, ninth inning, he doesn't care. And yes, he's not perfect and he's given up some home runs this year, but he doesn't walk anybody and he throws strikes and he gets outs. He's been a pleasure, actually. I'm a big fan. Plus, he looks just like Quinn on. Uh, Homeland. So extremely underwhelming and disappointing uh, to me, this trade of Addison Reed. And again, where, where, what is the Mets plan? You know, they like to keep saying it's a retool. They're retooling with what? We're just going to cross our fingers as usual and just hope all the pitchers get healthy again next year. And, and, and hope somebody miraculously lands in our laps to play third base? Or maybe they're going to play as Drupal Cabrera there next year. They do have a team option on him. Maybe that's the plan. 
You know, that's good. Keep it, let's, let's keep relying on more aging, out-of-shape, unathletic veterans because it's worked out so well for us this year with Neil Walker and Cabrera and Curtis Granderson. Not that he's out of shape, but he's aging. Ridiculous. All right, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back, break down some of the other trades right after this. Back on another edition of Jamal about sports. That, of course, is the Sugar Hill Gang with Apache and uh, Maya Culpa neglected to mention to start us out tonight with Sinead O'Connor with the Emperor's New Clothes. All right, we are back. Major League Baseball slash Amagansan edition of Jamal about sports. Let's take a look at some of the trades that the contenders made. Um, and, and really at first glance, uh, all of them look like pretty good trades. Now there's some risk involved, of course, in giving up some prospects for some of these guys, but we'll start with the Yankees and listen, uh, haven't done a show for a couple of weeks. Um, I think the Yankees season may have turned, um, in the Red Sox series because they had that heart, uh, breaking gut wrenching loss when Chapman blew the save. Looks like the Red Sox are going to win the second game of that series. They've got Craig Kimbrell on the mound, 30 saves in a row at home. He gives up a home run to Matt Holliday. The Yankees win that game in 16 innings, then split the day-night doubleheader on Sunday to to, to get out of there with a split. Um, That was a big, big turning point, I think. The Red Sox have gone in the opposite direction since then. The Yankees are trending up. Red Sox trending down. Uh, Yankees, we talked about, made the trade for Todd Frazier. Eh, whatever. Um, you know, they got David Robertson, who I think is massively overrated. Um, but actually the under the radar guy, and that was this Conley guy or Canely, um, who was a former Yankee prospect, always threw hard, but walked everybody, but has finally figured it out. And, um, he's been Pretty good for the Yankees. He gave up a home run to Lucas Duda. I oh, know that was Roberts who gave up the home run to Lucas Duda. Yeah, he's been okay so far. So, I mean, look, the Yankees shored up their bullpen. Then they just got Jaime Garcia, which whatever. He's a mediocre left-handed pitcher. Uh, not a big deal. But they just got Sonny Gray from the A's. Now, they gave up some stuff to get him. They gave up James Caprellian, who was considered one of their top pitching prospects, but he had Tommy John surgery. Um, and then they gave up Mateo and... Um, and uh, I forget the other guy, the outfielder. Uh, well, you know what? How about this? MLB.com. Why don't you drop some science on me? Okay. They got uh, Dustin Fowler is the outfielder. Jorge Mateo is the infielder. was highly thought of at one point. And James Caprellian, who, like I said, was considered to be one of their top pitching prospects. But he just – he had Tommy John surgery. So um, for Sonny Gray, who, you know, listen – it, these guys, guys like Sonny Gray, I mean, he's had some decent years in the past. He's had some very good years in the past. That's so-so. Uh, he's kind of fragile, um, has injury issues the last couple of years. He's pitched well lately, last six starts, an ERA under two. Um, 
And, you know, the, I think the key ingredient here for the Yankees, why they were willing to give up three, you know, fairly highly thought of prospects is because Sonny Gray is not a free agent after this year. He's under contract and he's not making a ton of, ton, ton of dough. So uh, I think this is a classic case of a good, good, good trade for both teams. Um, and so the Yankees, listen, they've done a nice job. Brian Cashman's a good GM. I mean, he just is. You know, you, you can you can sit there and say all you want that you know they, uh, they you know the Yankees have all the most money. And, they, listen, he he's been trying to get out. And now listen, he he's he's been the, the biggest defender. You know, to share a contract, Brian McCann, Sabathia, Jacoby Ellsbury, one of the worst contracts ever. I get it, but. You know, he's he's kind of seen the light the last couple of years. And we talked about it. He made some very savvy moves getting Gregorius and Hicks, uh, just to name a couple. Um, so, you know, he, he's a good GM. He knows what he's doing. And the Yankees have definitely helped themselves. You know, none of these guys are massive, huge upgrades. I mean, Gray probably has the biggest upside based on prior track record. Um, but they improved the bullpen, and by doing that, you also help the starting pitching. They've gotten two more bodies. Well, Gray's more than a body. He's a very good starting pitcher. He's above average. Garcia is a body. He's a back-end-of-the-rotation kind of guy. Um, but, you know, smart. Smart moves. And Frazier, you know, who knows? They, I think they're probably banking on, you know, change the scenery thing, go to a winning team. You know, he does have power, even though he's hitting 206. Um, and interestingly enough, I don't know if it's coincidence or not, Chase Headley, who essentially Todd Frazier was brought in to replace, has actually played pretty well uh, since that trade. Because he plays some first base uh, now, and, um, and DH, and Frazier will play some third and some first and DH, and, you know, gives Girardi options. So, it's a good trade. The other... Another big trade it was the Dodgers getting uh, Hugh Darvish um, from the Rangers. That's, you know, so the Rangers basically have announced that they're out now, which is probably smart. I mean, they, they were never going to catch the Astros in that division. They were maybe kind of on the fringes of the wild card, but um, they basically have said that they're out. You know, they're trading their best pitcher, so they're out. Um, and, you know, listen – Hugh Darvish, when he's on his game, is as good as anybody in the league. Now, he's been a little up and down this year. Um, hasn't been lights out, but, I mean, he's a guy when he gets on a roll, strikes out the world. And, you know, you'd think he'd probably – apparently he loved being in Texas. But, you know, you'd think he would probably acclimate well to the Dodgers. Obviously, they have a long history of having Japanese players and pitchers in particular there. They have Kenta Maeda already on the team there. So, you know, sort of from a – a cultural standpoint, I think, and, you know, a locker room, clubhouse standpoint, I think probably won't be a huge issue. <clears throat> and he's a competitor. And, you know, I mean, listen, what the Dodgers have been doing is ridiculous. I mean, their record is 73. What is it? Hold on. I mean, record is 73 and 30-something. I mean, and they, they have another seven-game winning streak. They had a, they had a 10-game winning streak at one point. They had an eight-game winning streak earlier in the year. Now they're on a seven-game winning streak. I mean, it's insane what they've been what they're doing. Hold on, here we go. The Dodgers are. Oh yeah, no, you don't want to give it to me, huh? Yeah, no, yeah. Okay, here we go. And we'll get into this a little bit more when we talk about the races. But yeah, Dodgers seventy-four and thirty-one. 
I mean, they're playing 700 baseball with, 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 with you know, and now they've won eight in a row and a plus 185 run differential. I mean, it's, it's insane. So, you know, but look, Kershaw's on the DL, and the rest of that starting rotation for the playoffs, they assume that Kershaw will be back and his, his old self. By the way, he has not been great in the playoffs, particularly well, when compared to his dominance during the regular season. Um, but uh, the rest of that rotation, while good, they don't have – you know, it's not like the Mets rotation in 2015 when they had, you know, Harvey, DeGrom, and Syndergaard. I mean, they don't have, like, three studs. So this gives them now two studs, assuming, again, Kershaw's healthy. So good move there. I mean, because obviously this trade is made for the postseason. I mean, they, they, they can sleepwalk for the rest of the season. They're going to make the they're, they're gonna make the playoffs So and probably win that division. I mean, they have a – I mean, this would be one of the all-time collapses – they have a 14 game lead on the Diamondbacks. We're 15 games over 500, by the way. No, not, not exactly a bunch of slouches. And yet, the Dodgers have a 14 game lead. So, uh, with two months to go. All right, next trade up. Well, the Cubs, uh, we talked about them getting Quintana. That was a couple of weeks ago. He's pitched pretty well for them. They just got Justin Wilson, a good left handed reliever, also. Um, so, you know, they have improved themselves as well. They've gotten a lot. You know, they, they've gone on a roll now. You know, we've talked about them all season. We'll keep waiting and waiting. When are they going to get hot? When are they, well, they've gotten hot. 7-3 uh, in the last 10. They're now 56-48, and 48, eight games over 500. Have a four-game lead in the loss column now over the Brewers, who they just did a little number on over the weekend. Just won the last two games. Uh, Brewers are still in it at 55-52, and 52, but, you know, they're 3-7 and seven in their last 10 and look to be taking on water. Um, and speaking of the Cubs, very classy move by the Ricketts family who owned the Cubs uh, and, parent, and and the Cubs organization overall. They issued a, a or, or delivered um, a World Series ring to Steve Bartman, the infamous, you know, back in the 03 uh, series where, you know, Moise Salu went to go catch a foul pop up and, you know, he was sitting there with his, his Walkman headset on and earphones on and it looked like he interfered. Uh, with Alou's ability to catch the ball, Alou basically, you know, uh, you know, in the heat of the moment, uh, threw up his hands in disgust at, because he, you know, felt that it was fan interference, and he basically was vilified, vilified by Cubs fans, vilified. I mean, some really nasty, hateful stuff. Um, and he's kept a, you know, he's basically kept himself uh, out of the limelight, as it were. Um, pretty much tried to live a life of anonymity. Um, but he, he issued a, a really well-worded and well-written uh, statement, essentially just saying, you know, while he certainly is not deserving, he, he, he's extremely grateful and humbled and, and is, you know, and, and thanks the Cubs organization and the Ricketts family in particular so much for, for bestowing this honor upon him. And, and you know, it, it's, it's interesting. In, 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 a, in a world in which we live now where every half-wit on the planet wants to be famous, and a lot are now for being halfwits and numbskulls and morons. Um, you know that this guy has. You know he could listen. He could have capitalized on this somehow. I'm sure and become famous in some way, but he didn't. And I respect him for that. 
and good job by, by the Cubs organization as well. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's a nice story, and this is when sports again presents itself in a, in, in a in a way the way it's supposed to. You know, listen, nobody gets more riled up than I do sometimes, but it ain't life or death, and we all need to remember that sometimes. All right, we'll take another short break, and then we'll be back right after this. We're back here on another edition of Jamal About Sports. Coming out of the break, barbarism begins at home by the Smiths. Now we take a quick walk through some NFL training camps as uh, they have, yes, indeed, it is that time of year. Before you know it, the NFL season will be upon us and NFL training camps have opened up. Uh, And uh, word that the Ravens were perhaps, maybe, Interested in signing Colin Kaepernick. Um, but then, uh, right currently, by the way, their backup is Ryan Mallett, who uh, has had zero success in the NFL. Um, he's done absolutely nothing. Uh, you know, he was drafted by the Patriots. Um, you know, guy considered a lot of talent, but also a lot of off-the-field issues, uh, I believe, with alcohol and drug uh, uh, issues. Um and, uh, you know, he has not um, had any kind of a career so far in the NFL. Uh, so that's their backup right now. And then, you know, a couple of guys nobody's ever heard of, uh, including a guy they signed out of the Arena League, but then they just got rid of him and brought in some other guy. I, you know, and then <laughs> Roger Goodell, <laughs> I mean, God bless him. He says he has the, the audacity to stand up there the other day and say that, uh, there's no blackballing going on here of, of Colin Kaepernick by by the teams, and each team makes they're making decisions based purely on football reasons. I mean, are you kidding? I mean, listen, I know you can't or he can't admit that that's what's going on. I get that, but then don't say anything on the matter. You're better off just keeping your mouth shut. I mean, because do you think really the fans are this dumb? And uh, listen, unfortunately, as we've talked about, there are a lot of fans out there that that are happy Colin Kaepernick uh, has been blackballed. And let's just call it for what it is. I mean, the president of the United States basically took credit for it. Okay, so, you know, I know now people want to distance themselves from Trump lately. By the way, apparently the mooch is already out as communications director as we take a quick sidebar here. What a disaster. Anyway, um, but I mean, come on, please, Commissioner, j- just just don't don't say anything. Don't insult everybody's intelligence by trying to 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 to, to spout this idiotic notion that that there's no blackballing going on. It's ridiculous. Of course there is, and it's a message to send to other players. Know your place. You know, beat up a woman, that's fine, but don't speak out. You know, a matter of supposed, supposed patriotism, as the NFL loves to cloak itself in the American flag every two, second, two seconds while they're taking money from the Department of Defense. Uh, please, I, I, you know what? 
Let's not go there. Let's not go there. Serenity now. <laughs> anyway, I, it just, it, it, again, it, it was, it was absurd. It was absolutely absurd. Um, and, uh, you know, listen, the, 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 the new cycle never ends now. You know, there's Odell Beckham wants to be the highest played player in the NFL. Well, that's not happening. OBJ, I got news for you. Uh, captain of the impossible to root for all stars. Um, you know, there, there's not a lot going on. So, you know, Ben Roethlisberger now is kind of doing a little bit of a Brett Favre drama queen thing where, you know, I, I might retire. I might not. Actually, what is interesting is you've seen fairly young players recently retire. John Urschel being first and foremost uh, from the Ravens. Guy we've talked about here who's like working on his doctorate from MIT in mathematics. He's literally a, a certified genius. He just retired. I think he's about 26 or 27 years old. Uh, Brandon Albert, who's not quite that young, but can still play, starting left tackle, got traded to Jacksonville, didn't get a, a contract extension um, or a raise that he wanted. He's re- decided to retire. And this on the heels of the CTE study by that um, by Boston University, where out of 111 former football players, not all NFL, but former football players, brains of, of people who are deceased, 110 had CTE. So, listen, you are going to see this more and more. Uh, and, and a guy from the Giants just retired. Now, granted, he's, he's a rookie and he was an undrafted free agent and his chances of making an NFL roster were probably slim. But that doesn't happen two years ago. That guy three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, that guy's probably grinding to try to make the practice squad, you know, maybe get picked up by another team. Guys are, you know, listen – if you have something else to fall back on and you're 25 and if if you're a guy like John Urschel who, you know, listen, he's a different kind of cat. I get it. But I mean from a sense of – from the sense that he he has played, you know, several years in the NFL. He's probably made some pretty good money already. I mean, again, you know, you got to look at it in perspective in real life numbers, right? By NFL standards, yeah, he didn't make a ton of money. He's not making ten million a year. He might not be making five million a year. But if he's making four or five hundred thousand dollars a year, okay, in the real world, a kid who's 23, 24, 25, 26, you're making half a million a year the first your first few years out of college. Not a lot of jobs where your first three, four years out of college, you're making half a million a year, by the way. Even on Wall Street. Even as a lawyer, you're not earning that kind of dough your first few years out of, out, of, out of college. So my point is you're making really a lot of money in the real world at a very young age. So what – and if you have then something else to fall back on, even if it's not going to pay as much as that, why wouldn't you? If you think you're going to be healthy and not suffer you know, ALS when you're 55 years old or Parkinson's. Or depression, it's a real problem. I think it's gonna. This is a real. This is gonna be. This is a real problem in the NFL. And you know, listen, they were way late to the game in acknowledging this and putting money and research and, and into research behind how to try to limit head injuries or mitigate head injuries. And we've seen a lot of the rules changes have been because of that. 
And whether I like it or not, it's for the best. I understand that. But, I mean, that's, that's to me, that's the story so far. We're, we're not even a week in a training camp. We've had like four guys retire. You know, we had the kid Chris Borland from the 49ers two years ago retired. He played one year. And he was really good. He wasn't a fringe player. He was going to be a star. He was a great linebacker. I mean, Calvin Johnson, to a lesser extent, yes, he played nine years in the league. And part of it was he was frustrated with the fact that the Lions weren't all that great when he was there. And, he, you know, but he got beat to hell. Now, you know, and he had definitely had a couple of concussions. And I don't think that that was his main motivation. But, you know, he's got a finger that's going to be crooked for the rest of his life. You know, they, I mean, they get, they get banged up. So that to me is a story so far. Bears watching. Finally, we'll wrap it up. Actually, we'll do a little quick NBA note. So I noticed today there was an article in the Post which loves to carry the Knicks water for them. I mean, Mark Berman, I mean, it's funny. Frank Isola, who's a Daily News beat writer who has a legendary feud going with Dolan and MSG. Uh, they never, you know, they, they, they bar him from, from, you know, any real access. He takes shots at the Knicks every chance he gets, and rightfully so, by the way, because they make his job easy for him because as we chronicled here on the show – they're a horrendously run organization. Now, they look like maybe they're moving in a direction of being at least somewhat somewhat competent. This is like when the, the Lions went from Matt Millen, who set records for incompetence, and then they replaced him with Martin Mayhew, who was already on the staff. You know, Mayhew, by comparison to Millen, looked okay. But if you look back at his track record, it wasn't very good either. It was just sort of normally bad stuff. It wasn't historically bad, the way Millen's was, where almost every single move was an abject failure. Mayhew probably had about a three, four hundred percent, you know, batting average, which is good in baseball, not good when you're talking about draft picks. So he had some hits at least. Mostly misses, but at least he had some hits. Well, that's what the Knicks are looking like a little bit now with Jackson getting fired, Steve Mills replacing him, hiring this guy Perry, from outside the organization, although Mills, as we talked about, has been, you know, somehow is is indestructible and MSG, probably because he just is a yes man in Dolan. But at least they look like they're somewhat normal now. And we'll see what kind of moves they make in the next, you know, year or two and, and, and give this guy at least a couple of years to see if he can do, you know, this Perry guy, Scott Perry. But uh, I digress a little bit. So Mark Berman wrote uh, an article about uh, Derek Rose just signed with the Cavaliers for like one year, $2 million. Um, about how Derrick Rose, as per his agent, B.J. Armstrong, who, by the way, you know, former Phil Jackson player, uh, gave Mark Berman an interview saying, oh, well, Derrick Rose didn't want to come back to the Knicks anyway. You know, they're, they're rebuilding. They're, they're, I mean, Mark Berman, are you, are you that naive to let yourself get used like that so that they could plant some story out there to make it look like Derrick Rose, the Knicks wanted him? They wanted no part of him, and nor should they. What a dog Derrick Rose was, by the way. He's one year here. Good riddance. Guy played zero defense. Couldn't make a clutch shot if his life depended on it. Oh, please. As unlikable a Nick as I've ever seen. And in only one year. Is everything about that guy bothered me. 
everything. So anyway, I just found that interesting uh, that, you know, the Post always defends the Knicks and the Daily News always hammers the Knicks. You know, the, the, even the Post, though, this year with all the Phil Jackson nonsense, even they had to finally be like, this is ridiculous. But yeah, I just thought this Derek Rose story today was, was absurd. It was so clearly a plant and a PR piece by the agent for the player. And, you know, again, that agent is a Phil Jackson guy. All right, and finally, we'll wrap it up with another edition of Ad Nauseum. This one is uh, courtesy of um, Infinity. It's for one of their SUVs. And uh, it's terrible on, on many levels. Uh, so we'll set the scene. You've got a guy probably in his 40s, you know, handsome dude. He's got, a, you know, some nice clothes on. He's got a nice sports jacket going. And he's, you know, he's, he's duding himself up. He's, he's pulling the cuff of his shirt just so out of the cuff uh, the, of his sleeve jacket of his, of his sports coat as he buckles himself into his cool, hip car, you know, and he looks at himself in the, in the rear view and likes what he sees. And there's some horrendous song playing in the background, which I don't know if it's a real song or if it was made specifically for this commercial. It sound, I, I assume it's a real song, but it sounds like it was made specifically for this commercial. And it's, I'm the baddest man alive. It is so bad, the song. And you think, oh, he's a real, you know, this guy's a real ladies' man. He's probably on his way to a date or something. But no, then they throw you a curveball. He's going to pick up his daughter and her friends from a pool party. Because what is more precious? See, so, so the implication is, you know, listen. Uh, being a ladies' man and, and, and being single, that's all well and good. But there's nothing more precious than being a dad and having a little girl and picking up her kids from a pool party. And you can do that because you've got an SUV from Infinity. Just horrendous from top to bottom. Everything about it annoys me. The song is terrible. The premise is terrible. The implication is terrible. All of it, Infinity for whatever model that is, boo. Terrible, terrible stuff. That is it for tonight's show. We'll be back next week with some more Major League Baseball as we get sort of down and start the dog days of August. We'll probably heat up with some more football as actually some preseason games. I believe the Hall of Fame game is this weekend. Um, Training camps will be uh, in full throttle by then. Uh, But until then, as always, thanks for listening and peace out.